At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Matt Liner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USC is five and seven and not going to a ball. Oh. All right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 321, coming to you on Tuesday, July 23rd. It is the day before Pac-12 Media Day, which means we're going to dive into USC's brand new media guide and so much more here on this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Troy. Our email address is reignoftroy at fansided.com. And our phone number is 213-373-1872. I'm your host, Mario Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia D'Artola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. I am on like two hours of sleep right now and getting ready to turn in another Probably my next two sleeps are not going to be much longer than like four hours before Pac-12 Media Day, and then I'm going to have to drive back to Arizona. It's going to be rough, which means this podcast is going to be one that we're just flying by the seat of our pants, and we both might end up super tired. Well, I mean, I already am super tired. I am not on two hours of sleep. I'm on significantly more than two hours of sleep, but well, after 10 o'clock, I turn into a pumpkin, so that's that's where I am. This is yep. Alicia, the pumpkin. Yeah, I, the, the stem is right there. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I do have I'll, a cup of coffee, which is not necessarily the best thing to be consuming uh, after 10 o'clock at night. Why? But if you like coffee, you like coffee. I would like to sleep at some point this evening, though, like after we're done See, podcasting. I've never consumed caffeine and felt it do anything to me. Ever. You're not consuming the right type of caffeine because you don't drink coffee and you don't have energy drinks. My mom's like, I can't even have iced tea, and it makes me all wired. Actually, like, tea tea does make me wired. Tea in the afternoon is a problem for me. I need to be careful with it. Whereas I can have coffee in the afternoon, it's not a big problem, but tea definitely hits me harder. Does zero for me. The only time I've ever felt anything is a five-hour energy drink, which I will probably, probably be pounding on Tuesday and Wednesday. Well, so. since you're driving, it's probably a good idea that you are definitely consuming some five-hour energy or yeah. something during Just your drive. Cause chain chugging those things. We kind of want uh, you to get here safe. That would be a good idea, for sure. Yeah. Uh, USC is going to be participating in Pac-12 Media Day, along with all the other 11 schools in the conference. I'm super excited for Pac-12 Media Day because it's the start of the season, essentially. Uh, Pac-12 Media Day is on Wednesday. And then next Friday starts fall camp already. Already. I mean, it's here. It's absolutely here. And you're right. Pac-12 Media Day. Def- I mean, this week kind of signals it because they drop the, the media guide on the Monday. Pac-12 Media Day hits on the Wednesday. And then it's just, you know, one week, one week from then, them more or less, uh, that that fall camp starts and we're, we're going pretty hard. But I mean, that's a solid week of we'll have listened to Clay Helton on Wednesday, we'll have gotten a chance mm-hmm. to talk to Christian Rector and Michael Pittman. So we'll be we'll spend a week digesting uh, the comments that they had at Pac-12 Media Day and other athletes from around the conference. And then by the time we're done doing that, you know, it's uh, it's fall camp and 
we're going to have fall camp observations and be doing all sorts of other things. But uh, it's it's it comes up quick every year. And every year we have this conversation where we're like, uh, it's here. We're excited. But oof, hold your breath. It's about to get to intense. Yeah, I complain about being on two hours of sleep right now. I know that this is going to be a regular thing in the fall. So not looking yeah. forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd like to sleep at some point. I, I went out uh, with some friends on Saturday night and I didn't get in until like 4 a.m., which is very not me for the record. Uh, but I, I sent you a message at some point saying like, so it was just sort of a a. a, a precursor to Saturdays during the season when mm-hmm. I generally get home at 4 a.m. <laughs> just That's, how it'll, be. That's uh, how it'll be, especially the first yeah. two weeks. USC playing Fresno State and Stanford both at the Coliseum at 7.30 p.m. Uh, we mentioned that fall camp's right around the corner, which means we're talking about fall camp in our 10-part fall camp preview series going position by position. We're talking the defensive line and the linebackers and the defensive backs and so on over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Troy, You can subscribe for as little as five fifty five a month. You get all of our bonus content, including the preview series, which is always fun to put together. We put up a preview of the defensive line preview that we talked about over on Monday. Uh, so go listen to that, and if you dig it, head over to Patreon, patreon.com slash Troy to get everything else. And then also, once fall camp starts, you're going to be throwing out... Practice car cast every single day. Yeah, practice car cast. I started in spring camp also doing something called Inside the Scrum, where you get to hear the audio uh, from the players themselves. And that is all just, you know, getting down and dirty with, with what's going on over at Howard Jones Field. And it's always very, there's always jam-packed with things to observe and things to note and things to hear from players. So really looking forward to that. Everybody loves the practice car cast, and that might be, the most exciting thing about fall camp starting up is, uh, you know, throwing my mic in the car and recording those in the middle of a of a USC parking lot. And looking really weird doing it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You just got to embrace that bit. Mm-hmm. Embrace the weirdness, they say. Yeah, embrace yeah. it. Pretty much. All right. Uh, Patreon.com slash Rain of Troy is where you can subscribe to get all that stuff. Uh, let's talk about the news up next in USC's new media guide. We'll be right back. One last time. Get your sniffles in. This is it. This is the last time this is happening on this podcast. That's it. It'll be never pressed again, Alicia. That's it. Because Daniel Marabebe is no longer in USC's roster. This was unveiled uh, with USC's new media guy that came out on Monday. He was listed as a squadman lost. It's not a surprise when you look at his injury history. He missed all of 2018. He only played you know, a handful of games in 2017. 15 total games in three years of eligibility at USC after transferring over from Florida. A lot of promise, a lot of hope for what Daniel Montebebe could have been. And... This is how it ends. It's a bummer. I mean, we saw this. The, the writing was on the wall for a while, but it's absolutely a bummer uh, that he wasn't able to get back on the field for the Trojans. Yeah. Yeah. My hopes have been dashed. Truly a magic man in the words of the What's Burn show. Uh, they they have they coined the term magic men, and I immediately understood exactly what they were talking about. Trey Madden went that way. Daniel Marbebe goes that way too. The injury bug strikes, and yeah, this is just so. De- I mean, it's just it's it's like it's like what could have been. He was so bright. It was like six games. It was like six games of like, oh, USC's got a got a real one on their hands, and then and then it was just it was just gone. Like it was just gone out of nowhere. And it the the worst thing about it, like it would have been better if Daniel Marbebe had like blew out his knee or something because then you wouldn't have had the hope of is he coming back this week is he coming back this week like in USC never had the answer for is he coming back this week or this week or this week it was all you know 
indefinite. But if if it had just been like a broken leg or something like that, you could have just understood. Well, okay, he's out for the season. But it just dragged on and on and on and on. And we'd been we had been getting questions pretty much this whole this whole year about what his status was. And like you said, the writing was kind of on the wall. Like when when spring camp came around and turned up on day one and he wasn't out there in his uniform or pads or anything of the sort, it was like, you know what? I will believe that he plays for USC again when I see it. And obviously we know what the answer on that one was. So, yeah, sad bummer. Yeah, it's it's not a, it's not a good good feel for USC to I be mean, on the plus him, side. Baby. Yeah, on the plus side, he graduated. Uh, he what had he received USC's community service award for last year, so he was obviously a a, a good Trojan, uh, like a good citizen, um, and and he didn't seem to do anything wrong in that sense. It just it just didn't work out on the football field, and that is really unfortunate because because he had the ability for sure. 100%, and we just weren't able to see it for a prolonged period. Uh, I, I, I did want to ask you, how big of a loss is this for USC? I would argue it's not a loss, and that's not a knock on Denner Marbebe, but more so that he's been gone for so long that I don't think that you can really sit here and, and you know, if you were banking on Denner Marbebe to be your, your saving grace for this upcoming season, I, I think you're... Your hopes and dreams were on, you know, the wrong thing. Yeah, I mean, it was a loss for USC in 2017. It was a loss for USC in 2018. At, at this stage, like, I think in one of the previews I wrote for the for com about the tight ends, it was like, Daniel Marbeva could be a cherry on top. He's like a wild card that you could add to this group. But you were always planning for this season with the, the, the four tight ends that USC was going to bring in for, uh, you know, with adding Jude Wolf and adding Ethan Ray to Josh Follow and Eric Cromenhoek. Like, I wasn't even factoring in Daniel Imaterbebe. In 2017, we were factoring him in. He was going to be a big, big part of that offense. And he obviously wasn't able to do much even when he came back. Um, In 2018, he might have been a nice safety valve for JT Daniels. But even then, like, I don't know that Daniel Imaterbebe is the difference for USC between 5 and 7 and and a better record. Uh, but you feel like he probably would have given USC a little bit uh, of uh, more of a, of a target there in that tight end group. But like you said, it's we're, we're a long way away from Daniel Marbebe not being able to play feeling like a fresh wound. Like this one, this one's, you know, processed the, the, the stages of grief have already been processed here for, for tight end lovers, at least the way I have experienced it. Yeah. So, let's say goodbye to this one, too. Daniel, my brother, you are yep. Daniel Monterbebe and Josh Monterbebe. No longer Trojans. So, that's how the cookie crumbles. Uh, let's talk about guys who are Trojans. The quarterbacks. Matt Fink, JT Daniels, Jack Sears. Um, I, I guess the question is, and, and you wrote this on Renatron.com, is the USC football quarterback battle really open? Media Guide holds hints. So this was this is what you wrote on Renatron.com. Here's an example of how USC describes their players, specifically centers Brett Nealon and Justin Dietrich. Nealon will battle for the starting center job as a sophomore in 2019. Dietrich will compete for the starting center spot as a redshirt freshman in 2019. And contrast that with what is being written about the quarterbacks. Quote, Daniels returns as a sophomore in 2019 with the year as USC starting quarterback under his belt. Quote, Fink, equally effective as a passer and runner, will compete for playing time as at quarterback as a junior in 2019. And quote, Sears will compete for playing time at quarterback as a sophomore in 2019. Now, before I blow your whole thing to smithereens, <laughs> tell everybody what you're selling there. I wasn't even looking for this. I was I was looking at somebody else's bio and Jack Sears's, or it might have even been Matt Fink's. I think it was Jack Sears's bio was sitting right next to it. And I looked over and I saw Compete for Playing Time in the little bio nugget for 2019. 
And I just did a double take and I want I thought, huh, that's an interesting way to phrase it. I went to go check Matt Fink's and it said compete for playing time. And I thought, huh, interesting. That's not how I would have expected them to phrase it. And then I checked JT Daniels and it, you know, talked about him returning with a year of starting experience under his belt. And I just thought to myself, that, that that's weird. That's weird. The, the, the number one story for USC in spring camp, the number one story of this offseason from a personnel perspective has been who's going to be the quarterback. It's an open quarterback battle. It's an open competition, all of that kind of stuff. It's not guaranteed to JT or anything like that. And yet in the media guide, like that's not the way that they're framing it. When you when you say when you like like the reason I pointed out the Nealon and Dietrich is because when guys are in a comp- competing for a starting job, even though we all agree that Brett Nealon won that job in the spring, it still lists Justin Dietrich as competing for the starting center spot, and yet that's not clearly not the phrasing that they use for the quarterbacks. Now, like I fully admitted in that article, I couched it twice in I'm probably reading too much into this. Maybe I'm reading too much into this. But it's an interesting phrasing that kind of sheds light on the feelings that I think most people who are observing this quarterback competition have, which is there's an inevitability to JT. And that. First of all, there's no probably. You are. Well, I mean, you are reading way too much into this. I'm not not saying this is gospel by any means. I'm just saying that's an interesting way to phrase it. And if if the quarterback competition were truly open, I'm not I'm not trying to spread conspiracy theories as though this quarterback competition isn't open either. I think Mm -hmm. there's a there's a there's a universe in which in which Jack Sears plays well enough to, to, to win the job or Matt Fink plays well enough to win the job. I just. Like I think it's inevitable that Daniel, that JT Daniels is the dude, and I think media USC's media guide is is just another example of that inevitability. Because I don't think so at all. The other thing, the the last thing I'm going to say, I just to just to double check, what like what kind of phrasing has USC used in the past? I went back to 2016 so to look I, at I, what Max Brown and Sam Darnold were were phrased as, yeah. and Max Darnold, were, Max Brown and Sam Darnold were phrased in the in the way that USC centers were phrased, competing for starting jobs. Okay, what's Not the difference? Competing here? for what's, playing time. What's the difference here? That Daniels, Jake Daniels is a returning starter. Is a returning starter. Yeah, that's all these things are saying. Daniels returns as a sophomore in 2019 with the year of USC starting quarterback uh, under his belt. Like, yes, that's very Fink's, much true. Fink and Sears should be, Sears will compete for the starting job at quarterback as a sophomore in 2019. It's really that simple. It says and, complete, and compete for compete playing, for playing time. time. Playing time and starting, like, it. it's not that deep. As somebody who has spent a lot of time with their nose in the USC media guide, seeing the way that USC that describes... Deep. Seeing the way that USC describes different players, you can always you can actually tell which players they expect to be involved and which players they don't expect to be involved but based the, on the those players, kinds of phrasings. The players and, that, that Tim Tesalone's staff expects are not necessarily the players that the, that the coaching well, staff Tim expects. Tim Tesalone's staff should know better than to than to describe Sears as competing for playing it's, time. But it's, also, it ain't no, that deep. No, but also, but also, like I've looked at the I've looked at the play, the the media guides in the past and noted players who were listed in certain ways and it came to pass that like that's actually where they stood in the pecking order where I where I had it wrong in my observations at one point like mm-hmm. I'm not saying this is gospel but this is like, these are hints that's all I'm these saying these are like, not hints They're, it's nothing it is absolutely when nothing when dudes are described as competing for playing time it's code for they will not be starting this year Short of Fink and Sears did not start last year. JT yeah. Daniels is a returning starter. Of course, they would word it that way. No, because it's an open quarterback competition, uh, and it was phrased as okay. such. Just okay. like Justin really Dietrich is isn't going to be starting this year, but he's still it's still couched that way. Kanai Malga, Kanai t- Malga is listed as somebody who is competing for a starting job. Michael Kanai Malga is not going to be starting an inside linebacker for USC. I can tell you that right now. No, no offense to him. I like him a lot. But he's not going to start ahead of Pali Teote, Jordan okay. Iasefa, or right. John Houston. But he's listed as competing for a starting job. I I agree. I think JT Daniels is going to be the starter. Yes. This is not remotely part of the reason why I think that. Like to me, this is like when remember when people kept you know sharing the uh, the USC coaching staff 
page when Cliff Kingsbury is being pursued by the Arizona Cardinals, and they just kept refreshing it as if USC's webmaster was going to somehow beat Adam Schefter to whether or not the Cardinals hired Cliff Kingsbury. Like, how many tinfoil hats do you have on? I'm just saying, it ain't that deep. I'm I'm just saying you can find little nuggets here and there. A few years ago, I found the little nugget yeah. about Cam so Smith Graham- wearing number fifty-five in, in on USC's webpage, USC's roster mm. webpage. Okay. And yeah, Graham Harrell and, and Clay Helton were they went to the writers of the media guide in Tim Tessalone's office, and they were like, you know what? Let's leave these little hints in here. We wanted to be super clear. I'm just saying, the, if, if the I was working for Tim Tessalone and I was putting together this that, thing, that read the media guide. If I was to putting together this thing, that JT and, I, and I was in charge of of giving the giving the little blurb about Matt Fink or Jack Sears. I wouldn't like there's no and I obviously know what I'm talking about when I'm when I'm looking at the team because I'm in the athletic department like I wouldn't even open up conversation by 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 phrasing it this way. You were reading so much into this. I'm, I already uh, said I'm reading too much into it. I'm not like then, I'm not delusional or anything like that. Then I just think I it's noteworthy I, phrasing. I, I don't know about that one. Don't know about that one. Let's let's move on and talk about. Exciting things that are actual facts. Um, new freshman numbers. All the new freshmen have gotten their numbers. Chris Steele is going to be wearing number eight. Adonis Ote, 13. Renu McLean, 13. Brew McCoy, 14. Drake London, 15. Dorian Hewitt, 22. Carolina Makaula, 23. 23 also for Keenan Christen. Uh, Jaden Williams has 29. Tua Siva Nomura has number 44. Uh, Mananoa Tufono has number 45, Drew Richmond 53, Jason Rodriguez 77, the John Benton 79, Kyle Ford at 81, and Ethan Ray at 85. There's also uh, freshman walk-ons who have been mentioned, uh, including Scott Harris at 16, Will Rose at 36, uh, Clyde Moore at 54, Chase Lock at 86, and Sean Mahoney at 89. I want to mention Scott Harris at 16, by the way. 16, a big famous U.S. quarterback number. Uh, Paul McDonald wore 16. And also some guy by the name of Rodney Pete. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He wore number 16. And this dude is interesting. He was He's a lefty, first of all, who started his high school career at Notre Dame. You're Notre Dame. My alma mater, literally. Only to transfer to Fairfax and then was like all city two years in a row. You never really see that kind of transfer, but interesting. Yeah. Interesting thought. So maybe he's someone who can... I don't know. Is he competing for playing time in 2019? I mean, when they list him on the media guide next year, we'll see if he's competing for playing time mm-hmm. in 2019. Okay, whatever. Uh, look at these numbers. Any any thoughts? Um, I, I, I don't. There's nothing that I don't like. Um, I particularly like Adonis Ote number 13. 13 is one of my favorite numbers, so that's cool. Uh, Why I do you like, like 13? Um. Because of the 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 weirdness about it? No, because when I was in school, like middle school or whatever, like the basketball team, everyone was picking their jersey numbers and no one wanted 13 because it was supposed to be unlucky. And so I ended up with it and I liked it. Like, just, I, I just, I, I think it's a fun so number. So that's it. I like it, okay. yeah. Not a great that's story. That's the origin story. Yeah, so. that's the origin story. Not, gonna, not, 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 uh, nothing much there. But, um, I, okay, Loki. I'm a little disappointed, just on numbers, not necessarily freshman numbers, because, again, I don't have any complaints about any of these. I think they're all pretty solid. Um, I, Except for Drew Richmond at number 53, I I don't know. It's a guard number. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little, it's a little weird for a tackle, unless he's not going to be a tackle. I mean, I don't know. I'm assuming he's going to be a tackle, but 53 is just not not my favorite number for that in terms of just, like, fit. But um, Loki... Uh, disappointed that 55 is still vacant. Uh, also, still still also, I think it's worth noting just on the freshman that Jaden Williams assumed he would come in as a safety. They have him listed as a cornerback. And to a CV Nomura, they listed him on signing day as a DB, but now they have him listed as an outside linebacker. So positionally, that's going to be interesting to watch. But other than that, yeah, n- not much really to say. Yeah, keep your eyes open next week when USC opens camp on Friday, which leads us to talk about camp and the new media slash practice policies. Um, It's pretty simple. 
all practices are closed to fans, all except for one, but we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, fall camp practices are open to the media, but starting with mock game week and then actual game week following that, game week practices are only open for the first 20 minutes on Tuesday and Wednesdays. So that's going to change your routine just just quite a little bit uh, there, Alicia. And then uh, USC will also hold an open scrimmage on August 17th at the Coliseum. Season ticket holders will receive free tickets. General admission is 10 bucks. Uh, and they're going to be doing tours of the Scholarship Tower as well. Uh, Clay Helton will only speak on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and USC will release a depth chart on Fridays before games. Your thoughts on all this? Um, It's a bummer that fall camp practices are closed again, but this is not new. USC is using the excuse of the recruiting dead period, which I think is a lame excuse if you want to close practices, just close practices. Don't give us a lame excuse about why. Um, as for them reducing to 20 minutes only for the media, uh, it's not a good sign. I know that we are media, and so we have more skin in the game than our listeners who are not. But warning signs are ringing. First, they take you down to 20 minutes. Then they give you five like UCLA does, and then they take it away completely. So... Yeah, not not good if you guys want coverage from us as far as what's going on at practice and who's practicing and who's not and what everything looks like uh, in those weeks. Uh, them trimming access uh, usually doesn't stop at just 20 minutes. That's all I got to say. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. Um, I think 20 minutes is going to be what it stays at, by the way. I, I don't have a um, super pessimistic view on that because... 20 minutes was the time they would allow people to shoot video and photo mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I think that that's the golden number for them um, for the most part because well, those 20 minutes are going to be stuff that they're not going to necessarily be doing, you know, 11 on 11 anyways. Well, and that, so this is, again, for, for access as far as what we're able to report to our listeners. Here's the bummer, guys. The stuff that they let us shoot, photos, videos, it's it's all the most innocuous stuff. It's all individual drills it's all the stuff that doesn't actually right. tell us anything about the team so but you'll be able to see who's the, who's we'll participating be able to see who's, who's there not. and who's not yeah yeah and maybe i mean but they've also been restricting when we're able to enter practice so if they continue to do that then the number of times that we're going to actually see any sort of lineups as far as uh who's practicing where when it comes to the actual like positional kind of stuff uh yeah, it's gonna. I'm a little. I'm a little concerned. I I you're, you're probably right. I'm I'm probably a little bit doomsday on it right now. Um, but it is a definite cutback of access, which means it's a definite right. cutback of of uh content for you mm-hmm. guys or for us to be able to to. Yeah, you'll uh, have to get creative in how you're gonna do the practice car cast. And the other thing, um, that it's like at least full camp is open. To, to the media, f- to the media, yeah, yeah, because th- they so, could have they could have started that a lot earlier. So yes, so at least I'll give them credit for that. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like once games come around, um, now I'm not going to say that in practice it's not important to be at practice. It matters less. It, it absolutely is, but in terms of getting a sense of who's starting where, I think most of that stuff, uh, for the most part, is important in fall camp. During the season, you're looking for injuries. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And, so. and who in who's back and whatnot, and, and that at least you can get out in the in the first twenty minutes for the most part. Maybe you can see, you won't be able to see exactly how much contact someone gets, but you'll be able to tell if they're participating or not. But yeah, it could be worse. It could be worse, but it is a dial back of access for USC. And then of course I I wanted to go back to the idea of USC holding an open scrimmage on August seventeenth at the Coliseum. I'm super pumped about this. They used to do this and have it open. Uh, for fans, I remember going in 2006. Uh, it was before the Arkansas game. It was like a week or two before the Arkansas game. It was on a Saturday night. Me and my dad went. They had the 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 crowd noise pumped in the whole time, and it was like ten bucks to get in or something like that. And I feel like there was you know ten ten thousand people there, and it was like the size size of a like a spring game. I could I could have sworn in 2000 I have this memory and I've never been able to sort of connect it to something. It was either 
when I was on at orientation or it was like move in week or something like that. I remember going to the Coliseum for a scrimmage in the yeah, fall. Pete Carroll did them, yeah. And so like, yeah, but then then it just sort of like and then I never saw those available again. And I remember like that was such a great experience. It was super fun. And yeah, I was you're right. Like it felt like there were, you know, 10, 12,000 people there. It, it wasn't super... Which I think is a good turnout for something yeah, like that. Yeah. And the the other thing is to me this is when you should play UC Davis. And yeah. I think I think that get rid of the FCS games by having an exhibition game. One exhibition game. Every team gets one exhibition game. And it can be against anybody, and everyone's going to schedule theirs against FCS teams or D two or whatever it is. And this is the time to do it. Um, so if SC played an exhibition game against UC Davis on August seventeenth, and it didn't count in the standings, nobody would care. But and you'd also no, get nobody would care. You'd get way more than ten thousand people for that. I would think so too. If you're promised you get like a game, eighteen, yeah, eighteen. Uh, no, I think you could probably get closer to 30. Um, but if- the, the other thing is, I, I think that the problem is the coaches don't want that because it's half the reps. And it's also injury concerns and mm, all sorts. Because you're going like, full speed. Yeah, like I totally get why they don't want it, but it would be a cool solution. You, it would it'd be a way to make money. It'd be a way yeah. to make money. It'd be a way to get a 13th game in there. Even if it wasn't officially a 13th game, even if you charged, you know, half price of season ticket holders, I don't know, a third of the price. I mean, yeah, I was going to say you you wouldn't even uh, less than half price. Like you could you could make, you know, $20 tickets. The NFL pays full price. You pay full price for the exhibition games. Preseason game. Yeah, but that's outrageous. But yeah, but the model works. Well, sort of works, obviously. Uh, But it's the kind of thing where you would be able to help fund those FCS athletic programs which is cool you'd be able right. to have uh more accessible uh game you could give tickets to um to kids in at-risk situations or uh mm-hmm. from low-income families or uh just give big blocks of tickets to schools uh, just to have them get out and see the school and be engaged in the community like you could do so many things with that and make it something that that is a positive experience for all involved without it being like a why are we playing f us uc davis like that right yeah and and then here's the thing that i would have to want to stress every year when sc loses one of those games it's not a big deal (laughs) good luck with that right yeah (laughs) you know how the reaction is going to be to that well, you see it in basketball like yeah. all the time. Like every year, one team loses one of their exhibition g- games to a D two team, and people absolutely freak out. And I'm like, why? It's an exhibition game. They didn't play their starters. What? What are you worried about this for? But yep. yeah. All right. Anyways, let's get into the mailbag, and then we'll wrap this thing up there. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, let's go to a text message we got from Chainsaw. Hey, Rot, no other position in a team sport is as important as quarterback in football. We're about to see how the air raid works out for USC this year, but I'm way more nervous about JT Daniels. I'm not a hater, but I'm not convinced that he's all that. What are you hearing from others about why JT is great? Why should we get behind and be excited for JT to lead the Trojans this year? Love, Chainsaw. Thank you for the first. Thank you for the message, Chainsaw. Um, JT, the, the thing is that he has an arm that can make NFL type throws. Uh, everyone who's in the room with him, talking football with him, on the chalkboard with him, whatever board that they're using raves about I think it's a whiteboard now. A whiteboard now. Yeah, what or whatever gadgets they use now, they rave about the way that he's comprehends the game, the way that he processes it. Um so like those are part of the reasons why people are so high on him. Um I don't know that you need to get behind JT yet because we still have fall camp to to observe to see where he's at, where Sears and Fink and Slovis and all them are at. And where they fit with with Graham Harrell. But if he wins the starting job, then it'll be because Harrell has basically deigned, you know, ordained him to be the quarterback who's going to run this offense. And so you're going to have to live with it one way or the other. And and it's really going to come down to what can Harrell get out of 
uh, JT that that you know last year's staff wasn't able to or whoever it is that starts. So like there's the excitement should come around. It's a new system. It's a new quarterback coach. Regardless of which quarterback it is, there are new things to be hopeful about. Uh, and and JT does have a solid base on which to build, but like I don't think that you need to be all in on JT yet. Uh, it's it's not wrong to want to see a little bit, you know, to sh- you know show me something. Yeah, for me, I just go back to JT Daniels was ranked where he was ranked uh, as a recruit for a reason. Um, mind you, things change when you get to college, so I'm not saying that he was he's for sure going to be. You know, when it's all said and done, way better than than Fink or Sears or anything like that. But he was ranked there for a reason. Um, he has tools that the other guys either don't have or haven't shown yet. Maybe they end up developing them. Um, who knows? Um, so I think there's there's reasons there. Um, he was very good at Mater Day, mind you. He had a lot of talent around him, but USC has a lot of talent around him. Uh, both you know in the backfield and at running back, and you know in the at wide receiver there's dudes around JT Daniels that can help him along with the scheme and I think that that's why you should want to buy into JT Daniels but more so you should want to buy into whoever the quarterback is because I've said it all offseason I don't think it matters who the quarterback is because I think the quarterback is going to be in more of a position to succeed than they were last year Um, with the exception of Fink and Sears when they cut down the playbook for them uh, JT Daniels was not put in a position to succeed more often than not for USC last year. And more often than not, he didn't play well. Or the team didn't play well for long, consistent stretches. And that was frustrating for people to watch. Yeah, it would, it would be different if JT were screwing up with a coaching staff that had done a really good job of developing quarterbacks before. And, you know, like the the, the concern from the get-go was that Sam Darnold didn't get a hell of a lot better between 2016 and 2017. And so, you know, when you're dealing with a true freshman quarterback, like, it, it didn't necessarily feel like JT was the problem for me, except that USC's offense didn't seem suited to him. But in that case, it's the coach's problem for not figuring that out um, or adjusting their offense to get the most out of him. So, yeah, I, I, I'm totally with you about, like, he wasn't put in position to succeed last year so like judging him too harshly for what he did last year is probably a little bit of a mistake and and the other um the other thing to note too is just you know go back and look at mason fine who's the quarterback at uh at north North texas he started out as a freshman and had you know pretty pedestrian numbers he completed 59 percent of his passes he had six touchdowns and five five interceptions with a QB rating of 113. Um, the next year under Harrell, all of those things improved. He threw 31 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, and his QB rating was 144, 63% completion rating. By his junior season, he uh, has 27 interceptions, 27 touchdowns, five interceptions, QB rating of 149, 64.6% completion rating. So like... If you can depend on anything, it's the idea that Graham Harrell obviously developed Mason Fine. Now it's a different, if it's a different team, different conference, different factors, but there's evidence there to suggest that QB development will at least be improved um, in a way that you couldn't bank on last year because USC hired a completely inexperienced quarterback coach who didn't have any background in uh, in you know, being able to point to someone specifically that he produced. Yeah, I, I would just say give it time. Give it time to see how things come together for, for, for JT Daniels uh, and for the offense. And if it ends up not being JT Daniels, that too, whether it's Fink or whether it's Sears. Uh, let's go to a tweet we got from Jay. Uh, what is the real story behind Daniel and Josh? All the Florida recruits, uh, Josh and Daniel and Montebebe, uh, all the Florida recruits in the last few years have left the program. What is the story? I su- suspect there were locker room issues last year and the Florida crew was an issue. Insights? Okay. I nearly left this question off because I think it leads down a path that is inaccurate or at, at least for us into a point of where we wouldn't be wanting to say anything that was seemingly egregious at the same point I'm leaving it in because 
there is no basis to anything uh, that the question insinuates. Like, I, locker room issues and with the uh, surrounding the the Florida crew. First of all, Josh and Daniel Monterbebe are from Georgia, but I I I don't see the parallel here. The 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 thing is, Daniel Monterbebe was injured. Josh Monterbebe was buried in a, on a depth chart. Like I. Th- Josh is, is going to a better situation for him, for him as a singular person at Illinois and more power to him. But I, I don't, I'm not buying into any of this. Yeah, no, I think it's worth, it's worth mentioning. I've never heard a single negative thing said about either Imada Bebe brothers for any reason. Um, in my personal experience with both of them, they were two of the most um, pleasant, respectful uh, positive players that I, that I was around, uh, you know, only really get to see them in interview scrum situations, but they always had a smile on their face. They were always willing to, to engage, um, never difficult in any way, shape or form. So yeah, if, if there were any issues, uh, regarding either one of them, I've never heard of it and, and couldn't, and, and, and would even say that I would be shocked if that were even slightly a factor in this. Um, like you said, Josh didn't work out in terms of where he stood in the pecking order for USC and he wasn't going to see playing time. So he's going somewhere where he's going to help uh, Illinois and have a huge opportunity, in fact, at Illinois. And Daniel's health issues, there's a, I, I would love to know the full story there. It sounds to me like there's something really complex going on with him and with his hip or groin or whatever it is, USC's doctors, whatever the, the, the stuff, whether it's, it's managing or diagnosing or figuring out exactly what, what his injury was or what the best way to approach it was there. I'm sure there's a very interesting story to be had there, but I don't think for one second that story involves anything negative about Daniel his place in the locker room, his place among his peers, his teammates, uh, as a as a student, as an athlete, as anything like that. Like I said, he he was a uh, USC's the the award winner for USC's community service award in 2018. Like th- that, it, th- never ever issues with with either of those brothers. So that's that's right. my piece. Uh, let's go to a Slack message from Dave in Orange County. Uh, he sent us a bunch of them, but I just want to go to this one because I think these other ones that we can honestly save for a Robot's choice, like who's your top five coulda, woulda, shoulda guys at USC. Um, I think we've talked about like busts and whatnot, but there's also coulda, woulda, shouldas uh, that we can get into. And who's your top five that didn't quite make it at USC who you were convinced that we're going to, a.k.a. the Dylan Baxter Award winners, those are totally a Rotbot's choice. We'll save those for then. Um, but I want to get to this one. Who is your all-time man? I hope they really do well elsewhere because they didn't get that run at USC. Who's your all-time guy for that? Oh, guys who transferred? Um, hmm. I wanted to see... Um, I am blanking on his name right now. The quarterback who went to Richmond. Aaron Corp? Aaron Corp. I, wow, I, okay. I felt bad for Aaron Corp because of what happened in, in that Washington game. And it was just sort of like, I just felt bad for him. So I, I did want him to go somewhere else and do well to rehabilitate uh, in that moment. But... I don't know. Kind of like a kind of like a Cyrus hobby kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, kind of like that. Where I just wanted to see him have redemption. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Like, I I think for me it's one of a couple of guys. Uh, number one, I don't necessarily say that I was overly rooting for him because I think when he left, I didn't think that he anything was going to happen. But Jarvis Jones is one of them. Like I love seeing Jarvis Jones completely blow up at Georgia. Um, that was more power to him. If, if he wasn't going to get cleared at USC, but Georgia was going to allow him to play, um, it sucks because I think his injuries, in, injury issues were real. Like That's why his NFL career is not necessarily panned out. But yeah. if that's the case, at least he got to have a hell of a career at Georgia. Yeah. Um, I, like, I hope that, that his body is not going to break down for things outside of football because that would be horrible. But 
at least he got to excel and, you know, show people how damn good of a football player he is. And the other one, I, I think, is Caleb Wilson because he did, he created an opportunity for himself uh, that he wasn't going to get at USC. Um, it was across town at UCLA, but he created an opportunity for himself, and that's what you want to see. Uh, and I think that we, we talked about Josh Bebe. I think Josh Bebe is in the same boat. If, if he goes out and has a... A hundred catch a year for the Illini. I I think people would be super happy for him. Oh, you know who I was really happy for too. Um, Jalen Green. Yeah, it's another good one because Jalen Green felt like a guy who he could have stayed at USC and had a pretty productive season. But like, it was nice to see him go to. He was it was Utah State, right? He went to Utah State and he Utah like their, State, their yeah. second leading receiver. So it was a pretty pretty solid ending to his to his career. It was nice to see him live up to. Uh, what like I thought he had he was better than he showed at USC because there was something with his dropsies that was all mental uh he he was actually quite a good athlete so it was nice to see him at Utah State doing that Bryce Butler's another one so I I would I would count him there somebody I was really rooting for was Broderick Green and I I feel like Broderick Green didn't really do much he was so good I don't know. He reminded me of Marquis Stepp, or Marquis Stepp reminds me of Broderick Green. Yeah, like I half expected him to blow up, and it when it didn't happen, it was like, huh, I wonder. Him and Emmanuel Moody, I thought we're going to have big careers. Yeah. The SEC. Didn't necessarily happen. Uh, let's go to our email from George. Uh, just finished listening to episode 320. You were going over a list of coaching records against the top 25 teams that showed Coach Helton was better than average, but not elite. The only elite coaches were Saban, Meyer, and Dabo. You also discussed James Franklin as a possible replacement if things go further south. So I looked up the first three seasons of Dabo and Franklin at their current positions. Franklin went 25-15, and 15, won the Pinstripe Bowl, lost the Tax Slayer Bowl, and lost the Rose Bowl to Clay Helton. Dabo went 22-16, and 16, won the Pinstripe Bowl, lost the Tax Slayer Bowl, and lost the Meineke Car Care Bowl, after a six and seven third year, Helton went twenty six and thirteen, won a Rose Bowl, lost the Cotton Bowl, but won the conference in twenty seventeen, and then failed to make a bowl this past season, going five and seven. I would argue Clay Helton has achieved more in his first three seasons than Dabo or Franklin, and Franklin had been a head coach before at Vanderbilt. The one head to head meeting between Helton and the elites was his loss in the Cotton Bowl to Urban Meyer. But all of the hyperbole about USC being dominant in that game is inaccurate. I was there. USC outgained Ohio State 413 to 277 yards and recorded 23 first downs to Ohio State's 13. USC also had four turnovers. Deontay Burnett fumbled on the USC 19 for Ohio State's first score. And then Ohio State put together their only long 83-yard drive and settled for a field goal before Sam Darnold threw a pick six. Sam would go on to fumble two more times. Helton did not get outcoached by Meyer. Sam had one bad game, and OSU's D made big plays when needed. I guess my point is be careful for what you wish for. Had USC hired Dabo, he would already have been fired and probably Franklin too. Helton was likely retained because he won the conference and a Rose Bowl in his first three years. That is more than Saban, Dabo, Meyer, and Franklin combined accomplished in their first three years as head coaches. All of that said, this is a put-up-or-move-on year for Helton. He probably never should have been hired, but he was and has earned his fourth season. George from Grapevine, Texas. Uh, before we get into this, I didn't want to mention, Clay Helton has played uh, Nick Saban, too. He lost 52-6. to six. So he's 0-2 against those those two elite guys. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of good points here, and I, I think George makes a great point, like, Helton earned the fourth season by what he did in season one and two. And I don't think it necessarily, like, you don't have to agree with this, but this is how the logic panned out, that he won, he won year four for what he did in those first two years. Um, year three essentially didn't matter, right? It's kind of the same with what happened with Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin earned year four by what he did in year two when he took USC to 10 and two. That's why he survived uh, the seven and six year in 2012. Same thing. It's not too dissimilar there. Yeah. And I've felt for some time that he didn't warrant being fired in 2013 the way he was. Um, 
But that's a conversation for another day. What I want to talk about right now is how great of an email this was from George. George, this might be my favorite email we've ever gotten into the show. I could not agree more with you on every single point. And I love, 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 love that I am not the only person out there who is able to like process through the idea of thinking that Helton isn't who shouldn't have been hired isn't all that great but also isn't all that bad either and I my favorite thing about this is the point about Dabo Dabo would have been fired by now um a lot of coaches would have been fired by now because expectations at USC are ridiculous at times and the I had I honestly hadn't realized that Dabo's third season in charge um, which was really his second season because I believe the the first year was as an interim, but uh, that 2010 season he goes six and seven and it's you know a loss, and then from there on he starts winning ten games a a, a, a season at Clemson, and even then those first the four, first four seasons after that six and seven season were still pretty um, pedestrian in the sense of where Clemson is now. Like those were ten and four, eleven and two, eleven and two, ten and three, with wins in the loss in the Orange Bowl, win in the Chick Fil A Bowl, loss in the Orange Bowl, win in the Russell Athletic Bowl. Like not exactly pulling up trees until twenty fifteen when Clemson goes on a tear and all of a sudden Clemson and Dabo Clemson is one of the best programs in the country and Dabo Swinney is putting himself up there as the only coach who's approaching Nick Saban in terms of of um, coaching ability. It's something that I would like to point out that I think. People don't think about enough. Coaches need time to learn their craft. And when you hire a first-time head coach, you are you are buying into the idea of growing pains. And guess what? You signed up for this, USC. You signed up for the growing pains. So like George, I too am very curious about this fourth year because the reason Dabo got to keep his job after 2010 was because he put in a 10-4 and season in 2011. And that's what they won the ACC. Yeah, that's what Clay Helton's got to do. Clay Helton needs to win the Pac-12 in order to prove that 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 the five and seven was the fluke of the of the thing. And Dabo didn't necessarily have the narrative outside of Clemson not having the expectations that USC has all the time. But Dabo didn't have the Sam Darnold narrative to contend with. Clay Helton will not be able to move forward as a head coach until he gets the Sam Darnold. Um, Sam Darnold won everything for you tag off of his back and this is the year that he's got to do it yeah and like i've said before he has talent uh that can take over right like yeah yes he's a guy who who we can make the case that the ta- he, he won dis- either the usc won despite its coaching because of its talent but they also still have a lot of talent yeah. so yeah. it's not like they can't win without talent anymore like that's totally still on the table um i i think that a couple of things that that i want to mention here um, yeah, I, I I agree with everything that you said in terms of both you, Alicia, and George. That you you gotta learn before you you start to to grow. Um, at the same point, um, Urban Meyer, I think, is someone who I don't think necessarily fits in here because you know George mentioned that you know Nick Saban had similar growing pains as a head coach. Urban Meyer really didn't. Urban Meyer, like. I want to say he took Bowling Green to an undefeated season, and then he went to Utah and took them to an undefeated season. Is there an advantage for him starting out at Bowling Green, where like didn't Nick Saban start out at Michigan State? Like, yeah, different tier, right? But that's the thing. Like, that's how it should work, right? Right, Like, you should you should start low and build yourself up. And Clay Hilton got thrown into the fire, and you 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 know you've talked about um, Chris Peterson, well. Chris Peterson went what seven and six his first two each of his first two years at Washington or mm-hmm. maybe six and seven one of them. If he did that at USC, people would absolutely be calling for his head. Yes, nobody would have the patience for for Chris Peterson. Case in point, look across town. We can all sit here and say that UCLA getting Chip Kelly was the best move that they ever could have done, right? You agree? Yeah, the, be- the absolute, absolute best hire they could have made. Best hire they could have right. made. Yes. Yes. He went three and nine. Now, if USC goes out and hires Urban Meyer, he it I get that that, you know, people might give him one year, but if he had a couple of years where he went three and nine, 
Uh, and then, you know, seven and six by just tearing everything down and instilling his own program because he was going to do the, the Chris Peterson or the Chip Kelly thing and take a minute and build everything down. And I mean, tear everything down and build it back up. People wouldn't give him the time of day. Mind you, the argument against that is you go get Urban Meyer because he doesn't need to build. He can just take the pre-existing infrastructure that USC has, which is a hell lot of blue, hell of a lot of blue chippers, and just start to win with them. That SC is kind of turnkey in that in that sense. But so, if, but if USC's program is as rotten from the inside out as some people are painting it, then there is a scenario where Urban Meyer would have to come in and clean house. Yeah, despite but all the talent that's there, like you know, clean, clean house. Um, coaching staff and staff and you administration could, you could wise. say clean house roster too because I, but I, I feel like people don't mean that about the roster right but if you know yeah yeah by the way i, I don't want to compare helton to, to urban meyer or anything I, I i think that this whole thing is there's context involved here yes um er, clay helton is far from being among the coaching elite so are a lot of other coaches. Um, he's got to prove a lot in year four here. Um, he's got to prove a hell of a lot in year four. I so just, I just keep coming put back. Up or shut up. I just keep coming back. I joined the USC fan base at a time when Paul Hackett was. I, I was on message boards, and Paul Hackett was referred to not by his name, but by the Harry Potter reference of "He who must not be named," and like. People talk about Clay Helton. Clay- I can't imagine people on message boards using he who shall not be named he who, who, as who a will Harry not be Potter named. reference. I don't know if it was a Harry Potter. I mean, I thought it was a Harry Potter reference. Whatever it was. I feel like the demographics for message boards are not the same demographics as people you reading You think their Harry kids Potter. weren't reading Harry Potter? Their kids were definitely reading Harry Potter. The demographic works. Either way. I read Harry Potter. My dad didn't ask me about Harry Potter. Either way. the I- People talk about Clay Helton as though he's the second coming of Paul Hackett. Paul Hackett went eight and five, six and six, and five and seven in three years as USC's head coach. And USC's rosters in 1998, 1999, and 2000, there was tons of talent on those rosters. Like the, the, those, yeah, not as talented as these rosters, no, but still talent. But like, the, yes. it's not like he was working with scrubs, and he right. went eight and five, six and six, and five and seven. So like, just simmer down, guys. Simmer down. Yeah. That's never going to happen. Uh, let's go to a Slack message from our friend Darlene. Uh, just finished watching Last Chance You and watching yet another season of All or Nothing, Amazon's version of Hard Knocks. Would you ever want to see USC on a show like this for this year and or what year would you have wanted to see it? Oh, that would be awesome. It would be very cool. Um, for this year, it would be very, very cool because this year you would you would be able to see the inside story of the new strength and conditioning program. Um, the exact changes in the locker room that they're making, uh, little ways in and outside of the uh, of the football field where they're hopefully instituting different uh, kinds of approaches. Like I think it would be very interesting narratively to see USC psychology coming off five and seven and working through all these things. So yeah, this season would be would be really really cool. Um, only other season I could think of in this like century see i'd want an all or nothing style show and not hard knocks because i I feel like if you watched hard knocks um for usc i think all it would be is the um the spinning of all the changes as being positive and we wouldn't be able to see if they actually became positives whereas all or nothing what makes it interesting is you see everything that happens before the season and then how it plays out because it will be fascinating if these changes work or if they don't work. Like if you're watching this way, yeah. as a spectator, it is the the best case scenario is that the changes are great or they're terrible. As a, as a watcher of the TV show, if they're if they're just like eh, eh it's not going to create the best TV show. So um, with Hard Knocks, you don't necessarily get that resolution. You would get mostly a resolution of. You know, Drew Richmond versus uh, Jalen McKenzie, which will be fun to talk about for three weeks. But I don't think it would be nearly as rewarding as an all or nothing where they talk about the changes and whether or not they sank or swam. Yeah, for sure. And on that score, I think if I were the producer of the all or nothing USC version and it wasn't this year, I got to choose a past year. 
2013 would be a hell of a year to be sitting in with uh, full access. Between That's not bad. I'm going to say 2007. Why 2007? 2007 was a weird-ass year. So, um, 2007, I was at El Camino College, and I had an English teacher who was an SC fan. I don't want to say an SC season ticket holder. Um, I would. I think I wore like SC hoodies, and she would ask me about it, and then she ended up knowing that I knew about football and stuff like that. Uh, and we would talk about football all the time. And I remember in October her being so mad that uh, it's going to be a holiday bowl season and that's embarrassing and all this stuff because that's what it looked like. It looked like SC was, the streak was over. SC was not going to win the Pac-12 or Pac-10 again. And then Oregon just, everything shattered in the form of Dennis Dixon's knee. Uh, And then SC rallied to win the conference. And like, I feel like that, that comeback story um, you know, especially well, with the in November, the the no loss November, and you, yeah, you get finger. you get the losses in October to to Stanford and Oregon, which would have been fascinating. But the story of Sanchez coming in and then rallying around and then beating ASU on on Thanksgiving night and getting back to the Rose Bowl and ultimately beating Illinois, I think would have been super fascinating. Nah. Yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely interesting plot points in that season, but. Still, give me the drama of 2013. 2002, the other, 2002, 2002 would one. also be a good season, yeah, yeah. for sure. For sure. Uh, that's going to wrap up our questions. I do have one for you. As a proud Notre Dame alum, how do you feel about Notre Dame wearing green jerseys against SC on October 12th <laughs> in South Bend? As a proud NDHS alum. Uh, I, same thing. It's still Notre Dame. I am fine with Notre Dame doing the green jersey thing. Um, even though I think it's slightly overrated. Well, so I have conflicting okay, opinions. Here's, here's my question for you, going back to you. Would it be better, like, because part of me thinks Notre Dame should just have one green jersey game a year. And it should always be Which against... Which I, I think they're trying to do. I, That's what they've yes. done in the last See, couple See, like, years. that I think is better than the, we're going to bring it out, and then when you fall flat on your face, then it's like, well, when, when do we bring it out again? And all that kind of stuff. So... Yeah, I would do the green jersey thing every year. Either it would be every year playing USC or it would be just every year whatever biggest game they think of the year or whatever most important game, homecoming, whatever it is. But do it every year. Like, for me, it's do it every year instead of the way that they were doing it. But you might have a different opinion about what what would be the better alternative between those two. So I go back and forth. I like, and I think if you're a Notre Dame fan, I think there's something to get excited about, about, oh, the mystique of wearing the green jerseys and blah, blah, blah. At the same time, the green jerseys, like, the mistake of the green jerseys is completely overrated. Yeah. Last time they wore it against USC, they lost 38 nothing. The time before that was the 4th and 9 game. So the last two times they've worn green jerseys against USC, uh, in recent memory, is it, it has not worked out for them at all. Um, they had success during the long streak, um, including, I want to say, 85, where they wore... Uh, blue in the first half and green in the second half and all that kind of stuff. So they've done those things. And in 77, when they ripped out the green jerseys and beat SC big. So they've done those things before. And there's reasons to feel pride about it. But the losses have kind of knocked it down a peg to the point where I think what Notre Dame has done is to try to build back the mystique by playing those games, I mean, to, by wearing them against opponents they can beat. <laughs> and so there's part of me that it's like... Is USC the they look at They look at USC and like, this is the time to wear it because it's against USC and a win over USC is a big deal. But this, but is, this is a down is the time USC. To, this, is the, this is the USC team to wear it against them and to snap that two-game losing streak with the, the green jerseys. So I, I look at it... Both ways. Yeah, I, I can I can see the, that the other being thing the mindset, is, but you can also if the idea is to to wear them against your biggest opponent, how hilarious is it that they're wearing it against a five and seven team? Well, I don't think I don't think that I don't like I don't think that they're doing it in that mentality. I think that I would tell them to do it that way. Sure. But then that would require determining your biggest opponent ahead of time and all this kind of stuff, like so then I think that my question for you is like, when, if you're Clay Hilton, do you bring out the black jerseys? 
Stanford might be a good option in week two. It's a rivalry game, but it's also a game that you want to feel good about. Um, if you beat Fresno State, I think there might be some some excitement for that game. That's when you bring out the black jerseys, right? You bring out the black jerseys against Fresno State and go for broke. Just straight up? Just straight up. Because you're trying okay. you're trying to get okay. excitement for that game. And yeah. if you lose it, you lose it. No matter what, people are going to be losing their minds. But mm-hmm. there's also a good chance you win it. And it's sort of like the change, you know, signaling the change that... Uh, that you've brought to the program and you're taking it more that seriously w- and you're you have a new I swagger or whatever. How exciting would that be if SC comes out Honestly, in black jerseys against Fresno State and then they're just wearing black jerseys until they lose? I like would, you got to. I would be pumped if USC brought out black jerseys against Fresno State. Yeah, and just wore them every week until they lost. I don't know if they could do that because they're they, eventually they'll be the away team and then eventually they'd have to wear not well, black but jerseys. Every, every, but sure, but every home game. It'd be a good idea. Yeah. If you say so. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyways, that's going to wrap up this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter, Reign of Troy. A like it's on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. You can subscribe to our bonus episodes, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. For as little as $5.55 a month, you get all of our bonus episodes, including the 10-part preview series. Uh, today is Tuesday, which means we are talking about the linebackers. Tomorrow is Pac-12 Media Day, so be sure to part- follow us on social media, and we'll be talking all about that. But also, over on Patreon, tomorrow is Defensive Backs Day. And we'll be talking about the offensive line after that, and then tight ends on Friday. Again, patreon.com slash Troy. Uh, Alicia, we will be back tomorrow uh, with a car cast to talk about Pac-12 Media Day and recap that thing. It's going to be three podcasts in three days. Who the hell are we all of a sudden? We're the same prolific bunch that we've always been, Michael. That's what I like to hear. Fill in your podcast catcher. Uh, My final word is Imatra Bebe, as in the brothers who have a very long name that I learned to say and spell and pronounce properly. And you know what? It was worth it. I wish them the best of luck. Because they matter, baby. I matter, baby. <laughs> That's literally how I learned how to pronounce their name, spell their name. Really? Yeah. That's 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 wonderful. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful. All right. Uh, we'll see you next time. See you. See ya. See ya. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your springtime adventure.